0: nach Brody
1: Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 113 of the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete podcast. This week, we sat down with co-author of the Triathlon Training with Power book, which is going to be released here on October 1st, Chris Myers. I should say Dr. Chris Myers, excuse me. Uh, He co-wrote the book with Hunter Allen. And I must say, I haven't been very excited, or this excited, I should say, for a a training book to come out uh, in a number of years. And uh, as we'll hear in our interview here today, uh, Chris did a fantastic job of really putting together uh, a very powerful book. And I think this book is going to answer a lot of the questions many triathletes that I've worked with over the years, and you as well, I'm sure, have had about how to implement training with power for triathlon. Now, for those of you who don't know, there is also a power meter for the run called a stride power meter. I've actually been using it since 2017 with my athletes, as well as the power meter in a paddle for swimming, which uh, I actually was not familiar with before the episode here today. So this is a really interesting uh, take on really dialing into triathlon training, using power to dial in your abilities. And what's interesting to me out of all of this is how Chris and Hunter put the book together to really have the details there, but not allow you to get bogged down. And that is truly an art. That's one of the hardest parts to do. You know, my book is, is being released here uh, October eighth in the ebook uh, version of it, and then shortly thereafter we'll release the uh, paperback copy. Uh, Strength Training for Cycling Performance. And this really is an art form to take these really complex models and to boil them down to the nuts and bolts and make it really easy for you to implement them. So uh, Hunter obviously had done that a number of years ago, working alongside uh, Andy Kogan, Dr. Andy Kogan, to write the Training and Racing with the Power Meter book. Um, So you know with that we really have some really great information uh, in that book and, and this interview. I'm really excited. Uh, I really cannot wait to get my hands on this book. But before we get into today's episode, uh, just a few quick announcements. As I mentioned, my second edition of the book, the "Strength Training for Cycling Performance," is going to be released here in a little bit over a week of the release date of this podcast. It's going to be available on Amazon Kindle first, an ebook form, for October 8th, uh, and then shortly thereafter. Uh, depending on the lead time needed, the paperback will be available. Now, this book uh, is completely revamped over the first edition, which was titled The Vortex Method. And uh, you'll notice uh, upon purchasing it, you'll see that all of the uh, photos have been done professionally. We went out and, and did uh, some shoots as opposed to pulling from uh, my own uh, high-end camera, low, low-end uh, photographer, uh, as well as going through and completely reordered, uh, reorganized with lots of take-homes, uh, call-out boxes, making it a lot easier for you to follow. Uh, and it completely reformatted and re-edited. So uh, a lot of great information in there. So if you haven't already pre-ordered a copy, there is a link in a show notes. Uh, second is here in October, early November, we're going to open up the Strength Training for cyclists certification course. So if you'd like to get $200 off and early access, go ahead on over to humanvortextraining.com, click on education and head over to the Strength Training for cyclists certification course and sign up for the pre-sale list that'll get you first dibs and a discount. Lastly, over on trainingpeaks.com, we've already released a couple weeks ago, our 12 week core training for endurance athletes program. And we're going to release here in the next couple of days. uh, we're just waiting for the PDF to come back the home 12 week kettlebell and band strength training program. So this is for those of you who are looking for a little bit more, uh, it'll be released. There is a discount link in the show notes. And the last announcement, I would really, really appreciate your help, uh, ladies and gentlemen, in helping to grow this show. And that means uh, if you can head over and give us a five-star review over on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you are listening as well as share this with two to four other people you know need to hear this or any of our other episodes in the past. Uh, we sit here and uh, do the podcast on a weekly basis, uh, but in order for it to continue, we really need to see that, that people are using the information uh, because otherwise we can put the energy into YouTube or into blog posts. Uh, but there are a number of you I know that are dedicated listeners and really enjoy this medium. And I enjoyed it as well, Uh, but it's just a matter of I'm a human being. I only have so much time and energy and the team here as well. So if you could, please help us out to grow the show. Now, last little announcement, we're coming into October, as I'm sure you already know. One of the biggest things I want to make sure that you're doing or not doing is making the mistake of jumping into heavy weights. This is the most overlooked part of a strength training program that is anatomical adaptations. If you are like most cyclists or triathletes out there and you've taken the last three to six months off from strength training, be kind to your body. Start off with three to six weeks of anatomical adaptations where you're learning how to move well and improving your movement coordination. That's what the 12-week core training for endurance athletes program is. It really allows you to build strength coordination and tissue properties to be resilient and strong enough to handle the weights via the bands and bells program later on, or even kettlebells. But just because you're young and or you used barbells last year does not mean that that is necessarily the way to go. Our last announcement is I just finished up a virtual presentation for the Science in Cycling Conference, which is held in Louvre Belgium. I had a nice little surprise here this week where I went to get my pre-flight COVID test, and thankfully... It came back positive before I was able to uh, head on to the flight and head to the conference. Can't imagine how that would have gone. Not Would not have been fun. Uh, so we are currently in quarantine uh, with a one and a half year old in a three room apartment uh, for the next 10 days, well, eight days as of the recording for this. So it's going to be fun and interesting. But uh, just a reminder to each of you, uh, you know, I didn't really have a uh, very, Big symptoms. Uh, I've, I'm vaccinated, and uh, the baby had been sick with ear infections for the last two weeks. So I just felt kind of run down. And then uh, I think it was Sunday morning. Uh, I just felt like my sense of taste had gone, which is one of the key uh, indicators. And then we went and got tested, and lo and behold, it was positive. Got a another test to make sure it wasn't a false positive, and sure it was positive in the end. Um, so just a reminder: if you're not feeling that well, if you're unsure, go and get tested. Uh, it's really not that unpleasant, you know, it's 15 seconds of your life, which can help protect others. So make sure that you are paying attention to how you're feeling. Uh, and I'll let you guys know how the recovery goes, you know, just playing with my son around the house. Um, I don't feel awful, but I definitely feel my energy has gone as well as, uh, my aerobic capacity has gone down. So it's going to be interesting as we build back performance, but that's enough for me enough, uh, catch up. And uh, let's head into today's interview with uh, Chris Myers. This is a really good one. Uh, I really appreciate Chris and his work and and the conversation that we had. And he has a really fascinating um, path that he's taken ahead. So so without much further ado, let's get into today's episode, number 113, with co-author of Triathlon Training with Power, Dr. Chris Myers. Chris, welcome to the show, man. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. We had a lot of fun going back and forth. There's a, a yeah. lot of cool stuff you've got going on, but uh, I'll let you explain to the folks uh, who you are and uh, where you're coming from.
2: Yeah, thank you. So, um, everyone, I'm Chris Myers. Uh, I, I have a doctorate in exercise physiology from Florida State University. Um, I did 15 years, well, medically retired, but did 15 years in the U.S. <laughs> Army, and now I, um, you know, so I I work with Peaks Coaching Group and um, I Twilight or whatever as coach, uh, the head triathlon coach for Peaks Coaching Group. Um, right now, I'm one of their master coaches. But my day job is I work as the human performance optimization program coordinator and exercise physiologist for the United States, Air Force, Europe, special warfare community.
1: And uh, just so you guys catch that, Chris is doing this as his twilight or like after job His, you know, Dave Ramsey, will call it your second hustle. And somehow you're coaching folks, you're running the training peaks uh, or the peaks coaching group, excuse me, um, triathlon program. And you managed to write a book that isn't just a book, right? So I I think we have a lot of commonality here in that we look at things as we want to make ourselves obsolete for those we coach, right? So can you tell a little bit about that and, and where this, I guess, drive to write the book came from?
2: Yeah. So a lot of it comes from my coaching philosophy um, is, you know, the way I coach is I teach you how to how to coach and analyze the data Um, because I'm a very data driven person, especially from my science background and just the way I approach things. Um, And that's not for everybody. But um, what at the end of the day, the um, the coach client or client coach relationship is a finite relationship. So what I want to do is what over that time period, whether it's one month, two months, one year, five years, um, is to make you a better athlete, you know, not just from the performance side, but from the analytical side, because pedaling running hard, you know, doing the workouts day in and day out is only one half. The equation is how do you keep getting better? And you have to look back. You have to look at the data and, and that's where it comes from. And that helps you understand your strengths and limiters and be able to adapt your training plan for that. And understand that philosophy is the, uh, is the, the foundational drive for this book. Um, the book, um, which is published through Cognella Publishing, is they're, they're primarily a textbook company and for, for uh, graduate courses and undergraduate courses. And that's why one of the reasons why we wanted to work with them is because this is what it's designed for. And so within the book, uh, we break down power theory for all three sports uh, swim, bike, and run. Um, of course, you know, bike, you know, sw- uh, power for bike has been around for at least 20 years now. Um, it's been mainstream since the early 2000s. And who better to co author the book with is one of the original founders of it, Hunter Allen. And so we wrote this book together with those principles in mind. And so what we do is, yeah, we talk about power theory. We explain uh, field testing protocols, and but we spend a lot of time explaining it to you, understanding explaining the biomechanics, showing you how to do the analysis. We uh, We have well over seventy five graphs throughout the entire book. Um we go into advanced analytics, uh, especially for running power, uh, especially that's the new thing. Um, Ride power has been well laid out, but we wanted to take it a step further talk about those advanced analytics like ground contact time, uh, Lake spring stiffness, breaking, uh, breaking Gs, impact Gs, X, Y, and Z, those relationships and how you apply them and what do they mean. And then also, how do you create your own training program, right? How do you take that, all this par- periodization theory, um, how do you apply these strengths and limiters? And we take you through a couple case studies throughout the book and even in the final chapter, one long case study with one of my clients who won Ironman Thailand in 2019. And of course, you know, the, the second half of the book is, you know, you got training programs. Uh, you got several uh, training plans for uh, marathon sw- uh, swim run there's never, there's not a lot of swim run stuff out there. Um, regular triathlon, uh, Ironman triathlon. Um, so, and yeah,
1: for those, uh, listening at home, uh, head on over to peakscoachinggroup.com and you can, uh, pre-order the book triathlon training with power, or, uh, if you've, uh, Uh, listening to this after the release date here at the end of September you can just purchase the book over at the Peaks Coaching Group uh, website and uh, yes that is a hard pitch because everything Chris and I spoke about before we hit record and and his synopsis here is exactly what everybody needs I need it as a coach you need it as an athlete as well Um, now Chris I want to ask you because it is difficult right so we always have different needs for our athletes so one that comes to mind and i've already uh sent her a pre-order of the book she doesn't know it yet she'll she'll get it when it when it ships um is a half Ironman triathlete and we've been working a lot on on leg spring stiffness ground contact time and we kind of have to choose one direction at a time right so how does the book help the individual lay out like hey choose or or does it help them choose the one thing to focus on or do you kind of say hey here's how to put everything together and leave it up to the, the reader to say, well, I need to work on my leg spring stiffness.
2: Yeah. So I kind of lay it all out and let it be, you know, a choice for the client. Now we like, for example, with, um, when we start talking about the, you know, leg spring stiffness, which we call kind of like the advanced metrics. Um, there's a couple of things we do lay out that you really kind of want to pay attention to. Um, LSS is a good one. Um, and again, a lot of these metrics are highly individualistic. And so um, yeah, there's ranges, but your LSS, your relationship between your stride rate and your stride length for your reversal oscillation is different than mine, right? Because it all comes down to your running biomechanics, and that's what these all relate to: is how do you improve your running biomechanics to improve your running economy, not running efficiency, but running economy, right? And so, for example, LSS, um, there's, you know, is there's a I mean, there's a lot of conceptions out there. Um, but the one way that I really look for it is the fatigue factor. Right? Is one if you're, your your like spring stiffness starts to decline over a long period of time, you're starting to see fatigue. And so, when you start seeing fatigue. Build into this, you're going to start seeing changes in your metrics. That means your form's changing, right? So that should give you an indicator. Okay. What's going on? Am I instead of leaning forward? Am I starting to lean back? Is my kick getting too low? Whatever it is, right? And you can understand that through training, you can start seeing that in a race. And so you can easily identify it. And once you identify, you can start training and that's what it's for.
1: Yeah, for the listeners out there, uh, Steve Palladino was a, a previous guest. We kind of got into this, and I know it took you down a rabbit hole there, Chris. So that was that was right. for a reason, because uh, that's a recurring question that I'm seeing in emails is, uh, I see my leg spring stiffness tapering off in my run. What do I need to do? And the answer is, for triathletes, it's really a complex picture, right? You have the swim power which doesn't relate to the bike power, which doesn't relate to the run power. Each of them has a different property uh, that needs to be trained. Do you mind sharing a little bit with that and and how uh, how you've driven that home in the book to separate
2: those three? Yeah, well, for one, they're separated all three, <laughs> three different chapters, right? Um, that's the first way. Um, but the way we do it is, um, especially for the swim and the run, is really break down the biomechanics of it. Um Chapter three of the book is all about the the physics and the biomechanics of swimming, which is very complex. Um, we don't dive too much into the bike um, because that's definitely well done. Um, now we do point out to the references if you want to go in there, you know you can you can look that up um, and there it's well vetted out there. Um, there's actually some great YouTube videos out there on that as well. Uh, GCN, <laughs> awesome, um, and then the run. Now, we do talk about the gait in the first uh, the first sections of the run chapter. And you have to understand the gait cycle to be able to understand how these metrics work. So the base one is always going to be, you know, of course, you got power. But when you start talking about these advanced metrics, it's going to be stride rate versus stride length. Those two metrics, if you understand the relationships, will let you understand what kind of runner are you. Are you a heel striker, midfoot versus toe? Now, there's definitely gray areas. Don't get me wrong, um, but it get, starts giving you that idea, especially from a um, from a satellite coaching perspective, because I always I don't always have a camera on a, on a person to let me see that, but you can start seeing that. And so, for example, um, the higher your stride rate is, the lower your stride length is going to be. The shorter your stride length is going to be, because it, it's a it's a paradox. Um, because the faster you go, the shorter your steps are going to be. So imagine running on a flat surface, right? Let's say you can run at 90 90 steps per minute at a 1.12 meter stride uh, stride length. When you start going uphill, right? Because you're fighting against gravity and Newtonian kinematics, however you want to talk about it, that stride length is going to drop, right? And the stride rate may stay the same, if you're if you're good at running hills it will stay the same or it could potentially drop as well um depending on how you're holding your form and that's some of the feedback that you get the next step is within that is your vertical oscillation right because we want to go more horizontal than we want to go vertical and one of the, um, just from experience, um, one of the things that I've seen with successful triathletes who have running power meters is you try to keep that running, uh, that vertical oscillation as close to eight centimeters as possible or below that, because when you start going higher in that, that means you're becoming more, you're, you're going too vertical and you're become more of a heel striker at that point. Um, the vertical is a very, is tight. Ty- that relationship is high. Tied closely to the uh, strike rate, stride length uh, relationship.
1: Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I've I've seen uh, seven and I've seen, seen ten, yeah, uh, been thrown around. So how, is the eight just from the sample size that you've personally coached and worked with?
2: Yeah, it's just from me. And you know, you're probably honestly, you're talking probably around twenty athletes over the lifetime of me as a coach who with power meters, right? Um, and but again, it is still highly individualistic um thing and we even say it's a rule of thumb it's a rule of thumb um but it's individualistic and to get a good sense of this metric comes from your field testing so it's doing the right field test and for me is doing the 5k threshold test which is roughly about 20 minutes yeah okay give or take a minute or two it's not going to hurt anything um and then getting those you know your power getting your heart rate metrics and then getting those advanced metrics right and then comparing that um, with your runs over time, right? Now with like the threshold tests, um, I don't always like one data point. I don't, but so you can confirm it with a 10K and that's what we do. And 10K should be, it, depending on how well-trained you are. And we talk about that in there as well, um, especially like adding a coefficient with it, um, which is definitely going to generate some conversation in there. We talked that in a second, um, but you know, on average, uh, depending on how well trained you are, um, a ten k is going to be either mid to upper tempo. You know, depending now, if you're an elite athlete, that's definitely going to be threshold. Yeah, you know, uh, so you just got to understand where you're at and everything, and taking an honest assessment.
1: That's interesting. I mean, the thing for me is it all seems to, to kind of group between seven and 10 centimeters, right? So it's mm-hmm. a very small, you have lots of people. I got long, tall, lanky basketball players uh, who, for whatever reason, decide they need to run 5k fast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. beat me. Um, but then you also have these triathletes and marathon runners, and it all seems to center. Of course, you have outliers, right? There's that bell yeah. curve and whatnot. But it's just very interesting to me that you came up with eight centimeters, which is kind of like right in the middle there, uh, which is pretty cool. Now, for the um, for the run test, I- I've kind of I really like the 5K test. If you're doing an Olympic or half Ironman or Ironman, uh, if it's your first Ironman, I-, I really love sticking on that 5K threshold test because it's just enough. They can they can hammer home. Well, What kind of things would the listeners be looking for uh, as far as their test? It's not just the pace, right? They're looking at the leg spring stiffness, the vertical oscillation, where and when that falls apart. Can you talk a little bit more about that and and what you're looking for out of that?
2: Yeah. So um, a really good test, you know, a quick and simple way to tell if you did a good test is if your metrics kind of stay steady the entire time and you feel gassed at the end that's when you know you've nailed it. Um, I it, mean, it's just as uh, simple as that. Um, and that's the thing, we don't have to get overly complicated with these. Um, and the thing is, excuse me, and I will um, you know, touch on that, but the one thing I do want to say is pick one or two things to really focus on because you can measure 20 different things and just get lost in the sauce with all the data. Keep it simple. That's really what it comes down to. Um, now, if you want to dive into those metrics, great. Um, but really, you know, when you're training, focus on one or two things, um, and cycle through, um, but so when we start looking at these, um, advanced metrics, um, is when you have a threshold is that's kind of near your, your maximal sustainable effort, right? In, in the aerobic, um, in the aerobic complex or aerobic, uh, aerobic, uh, paradigm now. And that's why that's so important because when you start crossing that year, redlining, burning the match, whatever, that's when those metrics start to decline. That's where they're really important. That means you're outside the correct metabolic path that you should be targeting, right? And that's where that all comes into play. And again, it's highly individualistic. So again, mine will be different than yours. And, um, but just understand where you're at. Great, so let's say your LSS is 2.9. For your threshold test, great. All right, I'm trucking, and trucking. You yeah, know, I'm running tempo right there for my half marathon. But okay, you forget you've done 3,500 kilojoules. Actually, greater than 4,000 kilojoules of work <laughs> before that. Um, understanding how that affects that <laughs> is going is huge. Uh, and you train. And the great news is you can train it. You can test it in the field just by doing a long brick and seeing that. And then when, then from there, you can start looking at environmental conditions, right? How's heat, how's cold play on how's humidity play on it? How's nutrition play on it? How does your sleep and recovery play on it as well?
1: And that's exactly, you know, kind of where I think the listeners need to, to learn is, you know, learning about bike power and run power on their own. It isn't, you have to take into consideration the atmosphere that you're putting it in and the tissue and postural challenges you have, let alone the energy uh, demands leading up to that last part. Cause it seems very common in, in forums right now. A lot of people are looking, you know, what are my average, they're, they're just learning about power. It reminds me very much of a uh, la 2001, 2003 when, you know, the power tap hub finally became financially yeah. viable for <laughs> most people. And yeah, would, what would you say most triathletes are, are missing when they're looking at, at run power? Is it having too much of a mental model of what that power is like compared to the bike mental model, or is yeah. there something else going on?
2: Yeah, um, it's <laughs> looking at a power meter, it's uh running power meter. It's definitely different than on a bike, right? Um, because that's a direct measurement. Well, I, I, let me back up here. They're both direct measurements, but the way they're measured is different. So, for on the bike, it's um, you know, power, When you look at it, physics, power is work divided by time. All right, so there's a time component. So, on the bike, it's the pressure that you put on the pedals times your cadence, and that cadence, since it's revolutions per minute, that gives you your time component. Well, when you look at that force, right? Since that's a direct force, the way we get it from a running power meter is different. And you just got to apply force equals mass times acceleration. Again, it's Newtonian physics. So once you put that in there, you can get running power. And that's because, and again, you got, we need to understand running power meters are primarily accelerometers with the gyroscope in them as well. But that's also why it's really important to make sure it be honest with your body weight, because that gives you, and when you're programming it, so you get an accurate measurement of your running power.
1: And that's something, uh, I think some people miss, uh, I know I missed when I started with a stride power meter many years ago, is that putting in the weight every morning, weigh yourself before you go out for your run. Cause that drastically changed when I went back, uh, and did a month, I'm like, Oh, let's try it and see how much, like we naturally move between one and three pounds a day, just on water weight, other things. And that really changes the training stress from your running and and where you're actually going to be able to dial in your performance those days, especially getting into a taper or a peak.
2: You know, Yeah, I would have to agree and disagree with that, especially towards the the more specialized portion of the, uh, of the training program, the taper, the peak week, and maybe in those last couple of builds. um, Yeah, you want to be a little more cognizant of the weight, but you don't need to weigh yourself every day. Uh, You know, once a week is good because again, we're not, unless you're intentionally trying to cut weight, um, the weight's, like you said, the weight's not going to change too much. And okay. Yeah. we get wrapped around TSS. Don't no, you're wrong. I'm, I, I, no, I program by TSS, especially with my long course guys, uh, guys and gals, but it's, it's an estimate, right? And there's going to be some de- deviation in there. And the last thing that we want to do is, oh, great. I got to get in there, weigh myself before my run. Well, I have an hour to run. It's 5.00 AM. Just go out and run. I mean, okay, if you're off by a pound and a half because you ate a steak the night before um, versus uh, a salad, right, it's not going to make a huge difference.
1: Yeah, that was a missing factors. I was cutting weight the last yeah. uh, eight weeks, and it was r- way off. Uh, over the course yeah. I think oh, yeah. the program, I dropped 12, I think, something like that, so it's pretty significant. But that that's one of the things that some of my athletes in the past made, and I'm like – should have known better, you know, should have had a V8 kind of thing if you're in the, the <laughs> early 90s. Um, well, speaking of, of power on the bike, power on the run, so everybody's pretty much aware now or has heard someone mention about the stride power meter, right? But what about for swimming? Is that just a mathematical equation you came up with or is there something you guys are using?
2: So uh, there's two different, there's two major um, products out there. The first one, one's dry side, one's wet side. Um in the pool out of the pool. So out of the pool is Vasa. Awesome. Uh, the Vasa trainer is a swing erg- ergometer. Um imagine a rowing erg just for swimming. Um Rob Schleemacher is the CEO over at Vasa, and they're very it's an awesome machine. Uh, it it really works the first four phases of the five phases of the front quadrant, it allows you to work on your extension primarily that catch with that high elbow, the push and the pull, right? But it gives you that tactile feedback but the other side of it with that power meter it links up to your smartwatch. if it has ANT plus you can capture it um and so that's one way to do it and so you can apply you know the power theory to it the next is in the water and you have a company called train sense which produces the smart paddle the smart paddle is this it's not very big the um, now understand there is a little bit of a difference with the smart Paddle. this is a true Force meter. Okay. Now that goes back into the equations of power, right? So we said that power is work divided by time. And work is you know, is the end state of measuring force. So you have this. And so with a little bit of mathematics, you can get power. Um, and so there's a little bit of reverse engineering in that. If you want to try to compare apples and oranges with the Vossitra, and there's a couple studies that show that the power from the BOSA is translatable to water with this as well. And so it's not very big. It just fits on the two fingers like that. Um, we've got rubber bands, uh, the little um, rubber course like we do on a regular swimming paddles that fit around the fingers. And the packs come with one of each, you can do left, right, or if you want to do two people at once and just get a one-sided power meter. Um, connects directly to the phone. Um, so you get semi-real data. Um, but you have to kind of sync it up a little bit here and there, but the analytics, the post, the post-swim analytics are amazing. You can look at your, for, you can look at your force duration curve per the stroke cycle. You can see dead spots. So it's very similar to, um, uh, what you can see on a dual-sided power meter, uh, through WKO or, you know, through, uh, some of the WKO, uh, five, uh, graphs. Um, you can and it gives you a uh, movement of uh, arm movement through the water through the X, y and z uh, planes. So you can see if you're actually doing a true high elbow are um, you doing s versus through there and stuff like that. And so it again you get those advanced analytics but you get the biomechanical analytics, which is awesome where typically you have to stick a camera under the water or have someone under the water with goggles and <laughs> watch you. so,
1: for the listeners, uh, the smart paddles are about the size of one-third of your iPhone X. Uh, they fit over, as, as Chris was demonstrating here, uh, fits over your ring finger and middle finger uh, and doesn't impede. It's not what you think of. Oh, even less. So we'll say a, a quarter of your iPhone X. He's holding that up to the iPhone X. So they're very, very small. It's not the paddles that you're thinking of. So if I write smart paddles on your paddles at the pool and put them down at the end, that's not what it is. Uh, It is a a highly sophisticated and it sounds like very versatile. It's not just going to be power, but it's actually, you can see your form breakdown as you go through your sets as well.
2: Yeah. And so um, the data, again, uh, is translated through Bluetooth uh, to the smart device or an iPad. You know, if you're a coach on the deck, you can have multiple people at once um, and it's uploaded to the cloud to their server. And so they have the analytics like training peaks does or uh, final Surge does in there as well. And so, um, the downside is there's, you can't export it and import it into WKO like we typically do with our run and swim power. Um, but who knows that might come. <laughs> um, but yeah. Um, so these have been around for about two and a half years now. Um, and yeah, great. Um, great battery life on them. Yeah, you know, ne- never had an issue with them. That's awesome.
1: And with that, the, the recurring theme I, I noticed here, Chris, is you're really big on biomechanics. This is really, this is not a here, do this, you're going to get faster. It's here's the founding principles. Here's mm-hmm. how to make sense of all the information. And it sounds like you had, I think you said seven or eight uh, training plans in the book. So people can kind of start and feel out and and know they're going down a good path instead of getting frustrated. But biomechanics seems to be at the core of this. It's not just power numbers. You're looking like, Hey dude, let's have you listen and listen and learn to what your body is telling you and then adjust.
2: That's hundred percent. Correct.
1: So that's really complex, right? Uh, Having written my book, I'm like, how do I get the beginner strength training athlete in the, and that's just strength training. I mean, there's only so many variables. How, -hmm. how have, it sounds like the case studies you've chosen specifically a couple different people that are different backgrounds
2: to help with that. Yeah. Yeah. Different um, men and women. Um, Most, you know, we've got mostly age groups. We have one elite um, and that again, that's an elite age grouper per se um, for the main case study and, uh, at the end of the book, where we try to bring it all together. But yeah, it's just trying to, you know, we went when we were putting the outline of the book together, I was trying to identify, okay, what are some of the key elements that I've seen kind of consistently through my career? And that's what I focused on in the book. So some of those kind of those areas where I can always see. So, for example, stride length versus stride rate, right? Vertical oscillation, LSS. Uh, those are some of the big ones. Uh, swimming um, is you know, pace. Um, that's the big one uh, with there because again, the power technology and these metrics are still very new. Um, and then we focused on those. Um, you know, in same in the bike chapter as well.
0: Want to learn more? Check out humanfortextraining.com. for more on this topic from Coach Brody and today's guest
1: let's transition for a minute over to the swim, because a lot of people, you know, with, with running and cycling, it's very much efficiency, right? So cyclists always want the the biggest power numbers. They want new PRs and what's, you know, Watts per kilo, but really it comes down to efficiency. The swim is almost a hundred percent efficiency. So we don't want to see higher power numbers. We want to see less energy output for the time spent, uh, in your intervals, how do you balance that in the book with, with
2: the swim workouts? So, um, we really don't dive too much into that because I honestly thought that would overly complicate it. Um, and just because, because when you look at swimming, you have the front quadrant and the rear quadrant, the bad part is we don't have a rear quadrant yet. So we only have a front quadrant. So we focus a lot on the biomechanics and the physics of the front quadrant. But again, it is stated several times that, yeah, it comes down to efficiency to reduce drag. And so what we wanna do is, okay, when you do your test is, are you staying within the proper power zones to train the metabolic rates, uh, excuse me, the metabolic pathways? Now, what you said, yes, if. You know, if there is an efficiency issue, then yeah, you would definitely see a drop in the power numbers, Um, you know, especially for the aerobic side of things, maybe not on the upper end of it, you'll actually see those go up because you're able to generate more power as you go through. But uh, one thing that I would, you know, we do focus on is the duration of that power that's being generated, right? So for example, if your force curve just spikes up and drops back down, there's an issue with your catch. You, you probably have a good catch but you're not pushing all the way through you're cutting it short and then going in and, when, and that's the same thing that we'd go back to running is okay what is your swim cadence right so that, that's already a good indication that's a strike a, a stroke length issue so you have the same relationships from from running to swimming which is quite awesome Um, The other is, okay, do you have like a really low power generation curve that lasts a while and comes through? Well, you're just stroking through the water. (laughs) There's no catch. Um, So we talk about the generations of these force curves and try to help you you relate those to the biomechanics with that to see those relationships.
1: Absolutely love that you went to the point of these are all very similar things we're looking at. It's just how the body is producing it. And that sounds like the simple uh, theme here. Cause a lot of people, we we had Hunter on a number of episodes ago, and we actually talked about training with power and not looking at the power meter and how so many people have just become writing, you know, Chris Froome staring at stems, hashtag Yeah, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) kind of um, love the guy, but it's one of those things that it sounds like in the book, you're giving people the tools and skills they need to be able to understand the power data and to train with power, but not be obsessed with it. So it's, here's what you need to know, but don't worry about all that. Here's what you focus on to actually get faster. Is that kind of a, a very blunt
2: synopsis? <laughs> yeah, it is hundred percent. And if there's a question, that's the, and the great part about this is if they have questions, I'm available to talk with it. I mean, we talk shop all day long. I mean, That's the thing is we're, you know, we're easily accessible, we're a Facebook message or an email away.
1: And that's such a shift, even since Hunter published his, right? that it used to be, oh, the author, you you wouldn't have the, you had all the gatekeepers you had to go through. And nowadays, uh, notice that you're very, um, you've been more active in uh, Steve Palladino's group, the Palladino Power Project the last couple of months. I'm I'm guessing that doesn't have to do with the research on the book, but just like, hey, I just have all this information from writing the book. Let's see who else is around that I can kind of, you know, chip in and, and help with.
2: Yeah, and, and that's really what um, it, it is. It's, it, it depends on, it, it goes back to your coaching philosophy. Um, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm a tool for the athlete um, to get better. Um, you know, when I work with a client, I'm there to help them. Um, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm going to provide you with the information to help you make an informed decision. Now, I will let you know, like, I think that's a bad decision. Maybe you want to consider it this way. But at the end of the day, your decision I'm here to support you and help you get there to get to that. And it's literally, it's a team effort. So, so thus, and that is within the industry. It's a one team, one fight uh, mentality.
1: And that's very different than what a lot of coaches, uh, beginner coaches, mostly, I think, I think more advanced are kind of like we want to find the right athlete. We want to make sure we establish that connection and communication as a coach. How do you go through and, and determine that it's the right athlete to work with? Is it kind of a, a feel? Is there an interview process? Like, how would that, that look on that side of things?
2: Yeah, it's, there's definitely an interview process um, because it's got to be a fit on both sides. Um, I've had times where I've had a client, yeah, I want to work in uh, No, I, I'm not feeling it or it's other here. It's been both ways. Um, and really, it's just, you know, it, it's, for me, it's evolved over time at first I'm like, okay, I got to do the historical analysis, have a great uh, presentation and talk. Now it's just like, Hey, let's just have a conversation. Yeah. You know, let's talk about your goals. Let's talk about what you're looking for in a coach. Um, I'll give you my philosophy. Let's just see if we click. I mean, it's and again, you know, and, there's, and every coach has their different approach. Um, you know, I've, you know, come through USAT uh, Kelly Rose Thomas, great person. She takes it from a physical therapy standpoint. Um, Like for me, it's very, uh, I'm very analytical. I'm a very data savvy person. We had others that look at it from a purely psychological approach, right? So it's just understanding who those people are and, you know, what kind of coach you are and what kind of clients that you tend to work with.
1: So getting into that side of things, you know, it tends to be the very analytical minds get lost in those details. And, and just from the synopsis of the book, our conversation before here, uh, and also now, it seems like it, you're very analytical driven, but you've really developed that soft skill. Or maybe you always have had it to understand like, here's this really complex thing. How do I make it easier for people to understand this because the power data out there i mean we we talked earlier how everybody can have a a a lab that's almost clinical quality (laughs) if they have you know 5k essentially they can spend you got everything you need but how did you make that transition or have you always been like that or you you have that analytical mind but can um nuance these things to very simple you know
2: like a, a third grader essentially i learned from my mistakes um it really, it's a learning process. I mean, definitely some of the um, background of how the military, um, you know, how do you get to the point as quickly as possible? Um, it's, it's been a lot of, you know, trial and error over the years. Um, you know, experience helps build, make you better. If you're willing to learn from your mistakes, you're going to improve. And that's been, that's how I've developed that soft skill. Um, also in just through experience too, understanding what are some of the common questions that I have. You know, when you start doing this for even after a year, you start getting the same questions over and, over and over. Okay, you know what? These are just some things you just want to have in your hip, in your back pocket, and because it's more likely not to come up. Um, but it's also understanding your client, right? I, I've got clients right now, you know, they just want the bare basics. I got others who want to go into deep and everything. So it's understanding what your client wants. And, but also balancing with their needs as well. Right. And so and going from there.
1: Well, a number of the, the listeners here that have subscribed, have, have sent emails in, they're, they're young coaches. Um, they're looking for great information sources. I, I think hands down, this is a no-brainer. You know, the, 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 the risk return is, you know, uh, massive, just the amount of work that you put into this and, and, and to make it uh, digestible, so to speak. You know, after having the conversation with Hunter and, and a number of other coaches here on the podcast, one of the questions that comes up to me is if you were to to take the book and just kind of take a step back and think about those young coaches coming in that are very research or evidence-based in their approaches, that's the, the mind model that's coming out now, the mental model, what would you say are, are two or three things that they should keep in mind or remember as they're putting these principles from the book into practice?
2: Yeah, um, the first one is if it's measurable, you can we can pretty much measure everything at this point. Is it worth measuring? That's one of the first things, right? And you kind of balance that with the strengths of limiters with your client and what they want and what they need to see as well, right? So, I mean, if we have an age grouper who is just doing, you know, just doing it for a hobby. Do we need to go out and buy all these gadgets, right? Or can we just get away with the bare basics, right? You know, it's having that hard conversation with them um, because it it all costs money and time. Um, And those are finite resources, more so for others, uh, for individuals. That's the first thing, it's trying to find that balance. Um, It may not cannibal weigh it too as well. The second is find a coach that's willing to mentor you, um, man, Justin Trolley, um, for at least the, uh, the triathlon side of it, um, between Justin Justin Trolley and Dr. Lisa called, they taught me a lot early on when it comes to the triathlon aspect of it. Hunter was my Hunter was my very first and still is my mentor. Um, he taught me, uh, cycling power theory. Um, and, you know, that's what kind of transitioned me from an athlete to more of a coach, right? Um, and just finding that, you know, helping develop that passion, understanding all that, starting to teach the soft skills of the coaching business side of it. I mean, there's the analytical side, there's that business side. And then, you know, just having these resources to go to, just, just to talk shop for 10 minutes, you know, here and there, it's great, Um Attend conferences if you can. Um, I know a lot of them are virtual now. Um, USA has got a good luggage set. USA Cycling, um, you know, USA Track and Field, NSCA, uh, National uh, Strength and Conditioning Association, ACSM, the American uh, Sports College, American College of Sports Medicine has a lot of them there as well. Don't be afraid to get in, ask questions, um, and not, occasionally you'll get shot down. But nine times out of ten, will it again? It's It's all about the mentorship and it's that one team, one fight mentality.
1: Speaking of one team, one fight mentality, which you've mentioned a couple of times here, what about the self-coached athlete? Because many of them just want to do it themselves, right? We just had the Olympic gold medalist in the women's road race who was self-coached and it it turns out she had a coach that's very similar to how you are in that her coach wanted her to essentially coach herself out of -hmm. his ecosystem. And the press took that as self-coached, but yet, So many self-coached athletes are so hesitant to reach out just for a consult and get another opinion. What would be one or two words of advice to those folks?
2: Don't be afraid to ask a question. I mean, that's the biggest thing is like, I, I had, I don't know how many questions I've asked over my career to kind of get to the knowledge base I had. Um, Then that's part of one of the driving forces of why, when I retired out of the army is I went Back to school is I understood training, but I want to understand why. Um, and so I took the educational route. Um, you know, so don't be afraid to ask questions. Whether it's to pick up, read a new book, listen to a podcast, um, you know, speak to another coach, um, stuff like that. Um, but at the same time, is having, and I hate to say this about our career, our career fields, is there's a lot of pseudoscience out there. Um, you want to call it bro science, uh, you want to call it half-truths, whatever. How do you filter through all that, right? And so that's where having those relationships, knowing where to look up and critically read um, the information from there. And so, yeah, and that's that'd be the big thing.
1: The pseudoscience is a fantastic point. I mean, that's such a problem. Uh, as well as evidence-based practice being, you know, I... I I think that for strength training for endurance sport, we're easily 10 to 15 years behind one other. Like if you look at uh, football or soccer in the U S uh, and the principles they're using now is, is 10 to 15 years ahead of uh, endurance sport. What about the average person being able to read through the evidence and figure out, because we talked about it here. You mentioned numerous times, the biomechanics, it's about finding what works for you. Even before we hit record, you were talking about how the first couple of months it might be structured, but then it's flexible. It's kind of going with what the measurements are seeing you. How does the listener balance that? Like how? Any wow. words? Yeah.
2: Do you have another time for another podcast on that one? Yes. <laughs> um, but I'll try to keep it short and sweet is you, you got to critically think, right? And so first off is the same thing I tell my undergrad, uh, my undergraduates when I was teaching is where's the source coming from? You know, look at the website, right? Is it a reputable website? Okay. Then look at the author. What is that author's background? Do they, you know, are they, are they self-taught? Um, are they regarded well within the industry? Or do do they have the educational background? Then look at the sources they cite. Right, for one, if they don't cite sources, okay, you may want to take it with a grain of salt. But then, okay, if they start citing sources, great. Look at you know, pick a couple of those sources. Look where they're coming from. Um, if they cite a um, if they cite a peer reviewed journal, great. Pick up that journal. Read, at least read the abstract. Right. See if they're actually taking the conclusions, because a lot of times you'll find that people just read the abstract and just pull that conclusion and throw it out there. Well, you kind of look at how that study is structured, right? Um, because research looks at one variable, typically one variable, that's how the scientific method works. You take one variable, you test it over and over again. Okay, once we confirm it, we change another little variable, run it over and over again, that's the scientific uh, method. And it gets distorted that way, right? So critically think and read what you see. I also do that with this book. Um, we lay out, we cite and we lay out our sources out there. Um, and if you can't find it, hey, email me. I'll gladly send it to you.
1: That's awesome, man. Uh, one last question before we go, and just on that point, actually. Is there one or are there one or two books that you read that kind of were the the light bulb for you in your career here that just kind of changed how you look at things in the critical thinking aspect?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, ex books, right? It's just what understanding the human, you know, in the military, we call it the human weapon system, right? Um, The human body is, it's a system of, uh, it's a system of complex uh, processes. And it's, okay, we got normal physiology, but then when you start exercising, change one or two of those variables and the physiology is completely different especially when i was working with uh divers uh with the navy when you start talking hyperbarics completely different so that's you know that's really kind of what you know, spurred all this into you know what it is today
1: that's awesome man uh chris I- if you're up for it, you know, in a couple months, once you're done doing all the podcasts around the book launch, we'd love to have you back to talk uh, about the critical thinking. Uh, Can you share with the folks where to connect with you, where to find the book and, and uh, where they can get more information here?
2: Yeah. So um, yeah, so I'm easily found on Facebook, Um, Chris Myers. Um, You can um, I've got, that's my personal. You also find my uh, peaks coaching group, uh, you know, the official webpage that I, you know, I post um, client accolades, um, some articles iron man stuff x y and z um i'm on twitter as well uh pcg Myers, um myers is the handle um for the book yeah definitely um if you go to www.peakscoachinggroup.com um backslash uh trioth- triathlon training with power um with underscores underneath um i'll i'll gladly send you the link you can find it there and uh pre-order the book uh the book is due to to be released roughly on september 21st uh or, excuse me september 20th was shipping uh pretty close after that um yeah and pretty, you know and you can also email me at c myers m-y-e-r-s at peakscoachinggroup.com we'd be more I'm glad to fill in questions and you know yeah go from there or just talk shop
1: Chris, absolutely a pleasure to have you. This is a new cornerstone. I haven't read it yet, but just our conversation, uh, you clearly know what you're doing. Uh, and this is a very, uh, it sounds like thoroughly thought out book. It wasn't just throwing a bunch of like, here's a run and cycling. It was very much, here's the foundation guys. It matters. It depends and make it your own.
2: Yeah. And I just, yeah, you know, at the end of the day, I hope it generates the conversation. Um, and if you get one or two new things out of it it met the goal,
0: That's it for this episode of the Strong, Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast with world-leading strength coach for cyclists and triathletes, Menachem Brody. Don't miss an episode. Hit that subscribe button and give us a review. For more exclusive content, visit humanvortextraining.com or get the latest expert videos from Coach Brody on the HVT YouTube channel at HB Training. Until next time. Remember to train smarter, not harder, because it is all about you.